pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Again, it is great to see everyone here and excited to preach this message to you. And um, so, go to John chapter 6. Besides the resurrection of Jesus Christ, there is only one other miracle that is found in all four Gospels. But I kind of already buried the lead in the children's time. That miracle that's found in all four Gospels is when Jesus fed the 5,000. And so we're going to read that passage today in John 6. And we're also going to talk about another miracle in John 6. And so we're going to see two more miracles from Christ in this chapter. We'll read verses 1 through 21. So if you found John 6, 1, say word. After these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a great multitude followed him because they saw his miracles, which he did on them that were diseased. And Jesus went up into a mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. And the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was nigh. When Jesus then lifted up his eyes and saw a great company come unto him, he said unto Philip, Whence shall we buy bread that these may eat? And this he said to prove him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred pennyworth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may take a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said unto him, There is a lad here which hath five barley loaves and two small fish, but what are they among so many? And Jesus said, Make the men sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down in number about 5,000. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed to the disciples, and the disciples to them that were set down, and likewise of the fishes as much as they would. When they were filled, he said unto his disciples, Gather up the fragments that remain, that nothing be lost. Therefore they gathered them together and filled twelve baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves, which remained over and above unto them that had eaten. Then those men, when they had seen the miracle that Jesus did, said, This is of a truth, that prophet that should come into the world. When Jesus therefore perceived that they would come and take him by force to make him a king, he departed again into a mountain himself alone. Verse 16. And when even was now come, his disciples went down into the sea and entered into a ship and went over the sea toward Capernaum. And now it was dark, and Jesus was not come to them. And the sea arose by reason of a great wind that blew. So when they had rowed about five and twenty or thirty furlongs, they see Jesus walking on the sea and drawing nigh to the ship, and they were afraid. But he saith unto them, It is I, be not afraid. Then they willingly received him into the ship, and immediately the ship was at the land, whither they went. So, as we come to John chapter 6, a chapter I've been looking forward to as we've been studying through this, we remember, I think, three sermons from chapter 5. We remember talking about Jesus healing the invalid and 
people get mad about it. He's blaspheming. He's doing this. He's doing that. They get mad. And so as we transition to, to chapter 6, we see that Jesus is still doing miracles. I get that from verse 2. It says that he was doing miracles on them which were diseased. So we may not have the specific miracles here, but I get that he's still healing people. And as he heals, not surprisingly, he draws a crowd. Thousands of people. It's, it's a huge crowd. We see here 5,000 men. Many scholars say there's probably ten to 15,000 total people, including the women and children. So it's a lot of people, which 5,000 is, is a lot, right? And so whatever the number is, a lot of people gathers around, and Jesus is, is likely, according to the other Gospels, teaching them, and it gets late, and Jesus looks around and says, you know what, these people need to eat, right? These people are hungry, they need to eat. And so he recognized not only their spiritual need, which we'll, we'll certainly hit more closely next week in the end of chapter 6, but he also, Jesus recognized a physical need they had, which was food, right? And so that leads me to my my first of five lessons we're going to get from this passage this morning. And the first lesson is this. Remember that Jesus is compassionate. Remember that Jesus is compassionate. Look again at verse 5. It says, when Jesus then lifted up his eyes, he looked up and he saw the people. And in Matthew 14, 14, it actually talks about that Jesus went and saw a crowd. And it says in Matthew 14, he had compassion on them. It actually uses the word. He, Jesus, in this time, could have said, you know what, I'm going to retreat into the mountain with my disciples. I'm going to get a break, because Jesus needed that at times. He needed a break. He needed to get away. And he's, he could have said, I need to go take a break. But yet he saw the people and saw their need, and he felt this compassion, this love toward them. And so I want to bring this out as just a kind of an initial point this morning to remind us that, that yes, God is holy, he is just. He is wrathful towards sin. We saw Jesus in this book, righteous indignation, running out the people from the temple, those money changers. So God is all those things, but at the same time, God is also love, isn't he? First John tells us he is compassionate. He is kind and caring toward people, toward his people. And so we see that time and time again. And so I want you to see that, that Christ, simply by noticing their need, and the willingness to meet their need shows his compassion. And I, just before I could even dive past verse 5, I stopped and began to think that God is compassionate toward us. Right? Every one of us, we can say, wow, I'm blessed. Every person in here this morning can say, I'm blessed. And we can start listing our blessings. What's the old song? Count your many blessings. And we would say, wow, I have a house, and I have a family, and I have a vehicle, and I have this, and I have that. But listen to me, the most important blessings we have are not the physical material blessings, but the spiritual blessings, right? That's the most important things we have. And I'm reminded of Romans 5, 8, where it says, But God commends his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, what? Christ died for us. Our most important blessings, church, are the spiritual ones. A church who focuses too much on the material side or the physical side of blessings is missing out on the main thing Christ wants for us. And we'll see that more specifically next week, but I wanted to touch on it here. First lesson, Christ is compassionate. Now look with me again at 5 through 7. So Jesus sees the crowd. He has compassion on them. He knows they're hungry. And then he says in verse 5, he says to the disciple Philip, where can we buy some bread? 
He looks at Philip and says, where can we get some food for these people? Philip was from nearby here, by the way, and so maybe he knew Philip might know the best place, the best restaurants in town. You ever do that? You go somewhere to eat, text somebody from that area, hey, where's a good place to eat around here? Jesus says to Philip, where can we get food? But look at his response in verse 7. I'm sorry, verse, well, verse 6, Jesus, it says Jesus did this to prove him. Jesus knew what he was doing, of course. But look at verse 7. Philip said, 200 penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them that everyone may take a little. The first thing that stuck out to me about this is Jesus asked, where do I buy bread? And Philip didn't even answer the question, did he? He said, with what, basically? He didn't answer the question. He, instead, he said, with what? And that leads me to my second lesson of this text. We need to focus on the problem solver more than the problem. Philip didn't do that, did he? Philip could have seen Jesus, who he had already noticed, turn water to wine, healed a man who was invalid or invalid for 38 years. That's an inside joke for the Wednesday night people. He, he, he had seen miracles that Jesus did, but he didn't focus on the problem solver, Christ. He focused on the problem, didn't he? And by the way, that's the same thing we do and we would do in that situation. But Philip had seen these things. I also wonder, did Philip not remember that God in the Old Testament had fed his people with manna from heaven? God is known to bring about things that aren't there to help feed his people. This is why I say Philip here, and I don't judge Philip, because again, I think we would fall in the same category. He focused on the problem more than the problem solver. How about us this morning? How about you? Is there a problem you're dealing with right now that is stressing you out? Would anybody just say, yeah, I have a problem that's stressing me out. How about, there's a problem right now, and it's causing me to lose sleep at night. There's a problem that's I can't figure out. I mean, do you have a problem this morning that you think deep down, like, can God really handle this problem? And I want us to see that as Christ provided for these people miraculously in John chapter 6, He can certainly provide for us, right? He has, for many of you, time and time again, when you didn't think a problem could be fixed, Christ has come along and worked things out, right? One way or another. We don't always get what we want. We don't always get what we think we need, but Christ always gives us what we need. And more importantly, he is with us through our problems and through our struggles. When we focus on the problem solver, Christ, there is always reason for hope, joy, and just the Christian life. I know too many people, and I am this way sometimes, where I'm just too negative about things, or we complain about things, or we're, you know, Debbie Downer, or negative Nancy, or whatever you want to say. But if we focus on who Christ is in our lives, there is reason for hope and joy no matter what we're facing. And there's, there's hope there. We need, to, we need to camp there. You see, if Christ can provide for our greatest need, which is our eternal salvation, then he can definitely provide for any of these earthly needs we have. I want to read this to you. I don't have it on the screen, but listen to Ephesians 2, 1 through 5. It's been on my heart a lot this week. It says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, 
He made us alive together with Christ. If he can provide for our salvation, he can help you through that problem you're going through. All right? I love Romans 8.32. I think it's up there. Paul wrote this. He who did not spare his only son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Church, Philip here is like me. He focused on the problem, not the problem solver. Let's be, let's be different. Let's change our mindset and focus on Christ. Lesson number three, very similar, but I want you to see thirdly that we need to focus on what we do have more than what we don't have. Look at verses 8 and 9. So another disciple comes up. This is Andrew, of course. Andrew said, there's a, a boy here, and he has five barley loaves, which, by the way, those are like the most basic, that's poor people bread, basically. Five barley loaves and two small fish. And if you stop there in verse, in verse 9, after fish, this could be a different sermon point. I would be like, man, Andrew, what a guy. What a, he had faith. But look at the last part. He says, but what are they among so many? And so as I look at this, I think, Andrew, at first he was focusing on the right thing. Here's something we do have. But then he says, what are they among so many? And so our third point is to focus on what we do have more than what we don't have. Y'all want to hear one of those good church stories I tell sometimes? Hypothetical. This is a hypothetical situation. <laughs> Except not really. I was at a church and heard of this, I heard a story about a church, and there was a meeting of some of the men of the church, and the, uh, one of the deacons of the church said, I'm just really concerned. And the other deacon's like, why are you so concerned? He said, well, we just, the last two months, our offerings have been down. It's pretty concerning. And one person said, well, it's, it, it, it's, it, those two months were June and July, summertime. People are traveling around. Maybe people just didn't get their offerings sent in or whatever. And another person in the room said, well, we have $120,000 in our savings account. I think we'll manage for now, you know. Um, and the, the conversation went on, and one person finally said, do we trust God or do we not trust God? Right? And I give you that story, that hypothetical situation, because... How many times do churches worry about what they don't have more than what they do have? Let me give you an example. I've heard people say this. You know, if we just had a bigger building, we could do a lot more for the kingdom of God. Now, there's times when you need a bigger building, right? There's times when that's, nece that's necessary. But I've heard people say this. If we just had a younger pastor, we'd do better. Or if we had an older pastor, we'd do better. Or if we had a really big youth program, we would do better. If, we, if our church had a piano player, which this church still does not have one, because <laughs> I'm definitely not one. All these things I've heard people say over the years. If we had this, if we were cooler, if we were whatever. Is it possible that churches have missed out on what God would have them do because they focus on what they don't have? I try to think about what we do have. And the people we're blessed with. We're blessed, right? Let's focus on that and, and, and not get distracted by the other things. But I want to also apply this to us personally. I've heard people say this. If God would just bless me with talent, I would, I would serve him. 
Well, you may not have the talent you want, but God's given all of us that are saved a spiritual gift of some kind to use for his kingdom. I've heard people say, if I had more money, I'd be more generous. If I had more time, I'd read my Bible more. And all these things, if, 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 if. I hope you see the point clearly. And I'm not trying to bash our, our brother Andrew here. Because I think Andrew's amazing that he brought the young man to Jesus in the first place and said, hey, here's something. Here's something. But let's focus on what we do have, not what we don't have. How about verses 10 and 11? So Jesus said, make the men sit down, and there was much grass in the place. So they sat down in number about 5,000. Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed to the disciples and the disciples to them that were set down. And how much food did each person get, verse 11? As much as they would. They ate plentiful, didn't they? So much so that there was even leftovers. Let me ask you this, church. I know who I'm talking to this morning, but do you think Jesus took five loaves of bread and two fish, and do you think he multiplied that for thousands of people? I think he did. I think most of you probably agree. But let me give you two explanations from skeptics. One skeptic wrote that what actually happened was half the people had brought their own lunch, and Jesus' miracle was convincing those people to share their lunch with the other people. And so Jesus' miracle, miracle was like an ethical miracle. I don't, I don't get that. And this one I think is even more far-fetched. This one says that Jesus and the disciples went on a huge fishing outing and a bread-gathering outing, and they found a nearby cave, and they just stored all this fish and bread in this cave. And then when, this, when John 6 happens, they form this assembly line, and the disciples pass the bread and fish in an assembly line-type style. They sneak it to Jesus, and he does like a magic trick and produces fish and bread. Somebody actually believes this. I, re I was reading about it. People that can't just take Christ for who he is, right? The one who turned water to wine, the one who healed the sick, the one who raised himself from the dead, he can feed thousands of people with five bread and two fish. Can he? I love what it says in, in here in this chapter and also in Matthew 14 when it talks about Jesus taking that bread and when he broke it, he gave it to the disciples and the disciples went and gave it to the people. I love how Jesus could have sovereignly made that bread show up in people's hands or their pockets, right, or whatever, and yet he used the disciples. He used them to accomplish the ministry. And I want to say this to us and make sure we understand this, church, that God is sovereign over all things. Our salvation, our ministry, our church, our lives, he's sovereign over all things, but yet he uses us, his people, to accomplish his goals, his purpose. And that's a blessing and a privilege for us to be able to take what God has given us and use it for him. I thought simply about David in the Old Testament, a sling and a few stones, right? And the Lord used it to slay Goliath. And this little boy with five loaves and two fish, God used it. Look at verse 12 and 13. I mentioned this already, but they ate their fill. Christ is 
one who completely satisfies. Spiritually, we're going to see in the next section. And then they had those leftovers. Christ provides abundantly. Look at verse 14. When the people had seen the miracle that Jesus did, they said, this is of truth, that prophet that should come into the world. This is a reference back to Deuteronomy 18, which I found interesting, where Moses said, the Lord your God will raise up a prophet like me from among you. And so watch this. They see Jesus doing these miracles, and they think, this is the prophet Moses was talking about. And, and so they come, and they want to make him king, right? They're trying to, he's, a, he's, a, he's like, they're going to try to make me king. And here's why this is such a great illustration. Moses led the people out of Egypt, right? Moses led the children of Israel out of Egypt, out of slavery, out of bondage. But when you come to Jesus' day, the people of Israel are under Roman oppression, right? They're under Roman oppression, and they, they're, they're looking at Jesus like, maybe he's the one who's going to lead us out of this oppression, like Moses led the children of Israel out of Egypt. And Jesus, of course, came not to be that kind of king, but to be a, a savior first. And so then, as we keep reading here, verse 15, it says, Jesus departed into a mountain alone. Now we're going to transition here to the second miracle of Jesus. The first one, he fed the 5,000. The second one, we're going to see Jesus walking on the sea. Have you ever tried that, by the way? I've tried that at the swimming pool before. Run as fast as you can and try to walk on the water. You get like one step and you're gone, right? So as you read this text, the disciples get in the boat. They start going across the water. Jesus did not go with them. They're several miles over the Sea of Galilee. And these are, some of these guys are fishermen, so they're experienced on the water, but there can be very strong storms on the Sea of Galilee. And apparently one of those strong storms came, and, and so they're probably already worried about that. And then all of a sudden they look out on the water, and they see someone walking toward them. And it's, I think it's in Matthew's Gospel that they look out and say, uh, is that a ghost? Like, what's, what is that out there? But finally, they realize, according to our text here in uh, John 6, they realize it was Jesus, verse 19. They realize it's Jesus walking on the water toward them. What must they have been thinking when they know they left him back on shore, and now he's walking on the water toward their boat? They had to be amazed, but Jesus said to them in verse 20, it is I, be not afraid. It's an amazing thing that Christ did. It's like he, it's like he gave them a lesson in, in the 5,000, and then when it came to this time, it's like he's giving them the exam. Like, here's, here's another thing about me, and will you accept it? So let me give you the fourth of our five lessons. The fourth one, remember this, and you know this, the Christian life includes ups and downs, right? I mean, we can all see how this happened. And I, and I mention this to you because the, these disciples, if you go back to chapter 5, they see Jesus do a miracle, and they're on the high. This is amazing. Jesus just healed a man. And then a few verses later, Jesus is being persecuted, and they're on the low. Now they come to chapter 6, they, they see Jesus feed all these people, and they're on a high. And then right a few verses later, they're in a storm, literal storm. And so we see the highs and lows but think about these disciples throughout their life, the, that three years of walking with Jesus. Think about the ups and downs, the roller coaster of emotions when Jesus is arrested and they end up abandoning him. And Peter ends up denying him three times. And 
Think about him on the cross, and then that's a down, right? And then all of a sudden, they see him after the resurrection. They worship him. That's a high. And then he comes to them and acts and says, well, I'm going to ascend to heaven. And they're like, what? We just got you back. Now you're leaving. But then he sends the Holy Spirit to guide them. The ups and downs that the disciples went through is a great picture of, of the ups and downs that Christians go through. How many of you have ever had a time where you experienced a great victory in life, but then shortly after you experience a defeat in life? Probably most of us. How many of you have ever thought, things are going just the way I planned it, and then something comes in and just knocks you down? It happens to all of us. But the thing I want you to remember and the thing I want you to see is that when this happens, we're never alone. Because as he did here, Christ comes to be with them and to guide them through those ups and downs. And that leads me to my fifth and final lesson. I want you to remember that the storms in your life are often meant to sanctify you. Remember when Jonah ran from God? God said, go preach in Nineveh. And Jonah said, all right, I'm going this way. He went the wrong way. He got in the boat, went the wrong way, and what did God send? A storm and knocked him out of the boat. They threw him out of the boat. There are times when storms come maybe for correction or judgment in our lives, but also some storms come right when we're in the middle of God's will. Right? Jesus put them on this boat and sent them across the sea. Then the storm came. They were in the middle of the will of Christ. And a storm approached their, their life. And so again, I, I just see an application here that storms are meant for our good. God sends these things somehow for our good. Look at verse 21. Then they willingly received him into the ship, and immediately the ship was at the land whither they went. When you read verse 21, do you think they were almost already to the other side? Or do you think Jesus made the boat get over there a little quicker, <laughs> up here over there? That would be a good Wednesday night discussion, maybe. Regardless of if the boat was already close and, or if Jesus put it in high gear and got the boat over there, here's the point. He led them out of the storm. He was with them through the storm, and he led them out of the storm. And so I'm reminded of the third verse of Amazing Grace, which says, Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. His grace hath brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. I don't know who might be going through something this morning, but I want you to see, as we saw in the, and we see in the life of these disciples, their, their lives, the storms that are the troubles or the tribulations or the trials or the problems that come our way, God takes those things for us who are believers, and he somehow makes us more holy, sanctifies us through the struggles. But does sanctification, that process of becoming more like Christ, does that mean life is going to be perfect for us? Is there anybody here who say, you know what, since I became a Christian, life became really easy or perfect? Nobody would say that, would we? Following Jesus will not make you healthy, will it? Not necessarily, it won't make you wealthy. Following Jesus does not mean everything will go right in your life, but following him let you know that he is enough no matter what. I don't know that it affects our church, but there's a 
Many of you know of the prosperity gospel that preaches. If you'll do this or say this, or if you're a Christian, you'll, you'll be healthy, wealthy, and wise. And we, of course, refute that prosperity gospel. It's garbage. It should not be followed. It should not be listened to. And I think for most of church history, people would have said, get that out of here. But in our current day and time, people are susceptible to this kind of garbage. Because if you look at these people in the New Testament, including these disciples, did they become rich? Did they stay healthy all the time? They struggled. As a matter of fact, these, the disciples of Jesus Christ who gave their lives to follow him, they would suffer trials and tribulations and problems and, and issues, and almost all of them would die a bad death. All right? Beheaded, crucified upside down. They were poor. Thousands and thousands of believers have been poor and sick and killed for their faith. And the disciples and those believers throughout church history who have not cared about fame and fortune and, and health more than they cared about other things, their secret is this. They knew Jesus is enough. They knew it. We don't come to Christ as a church or as individuals for what he can give us financially or materially or physically first. We come to him first for what he can give us spiritually. We don't come for cheap little barley loaves, although we do ask him for our daily bread, but we don't come just for that. We come for the bread of life. If we, if Jesus heals your sickness, he is enough. If he doesn't heal your sickness, he is enough. If Jesus gives you everything you want, he is enough. If he doesn't give you everything you want, is he enough? If things don't go your way, he is enough. If you have setbacks, he is enough. And so church, I want to encourage us to stop pursuing fulfillment in other things. The Jesus who miraculously fed thousands of people, the Jesus who walked on water and calmed the storm, he is with us through the storm. He leads us and he will lead us safely home. Jesus Christ is enough. If you're lost this morning, if you don't know Christ, if you're like, if you've been listening to us preach and you don't really know, know that you know him, I'll just say it again. He is enough to save your soul. If you repent of your sin and turn to Christ who died for your sin and believe in him, he is enough to forgive whatever sins you've done and all of them and lead you to eternal life. If you're a Christian but you're struggling with anything, he is enough to get you back where you need to be. And church, finally, we're headed, in, we're headed somewhere as a church, I believe. We had a 945 prayer meeting back here where people poured out their hearts to the Lord. And I hope that prayer was going to lead us forward and guide us. We're having Wednesday night Bible study, small groups where we're discussing the word and, and just trying to grow together. We're having our Sunday morning services where we enjoy each other's fellowship and we preach the word. We're going somewhere forward for Christ as a group. But we always have to remember the real only reason we can go anywhere is Jesus is enough. I hope that will stick in your mind. Let's, let's pray.